Later on, we'll be, say later on, in, uh, in Sundays to come, in September, then particularly August, uh, sorry, autumn, we'll be looking at battles that Christians face uh, to tie in with this series. Um, because the land of Canaan, it's not about reaching heaven, it's about reaching the land that God wants us to reach in our Christian lives. And in that land there is a battle. There are battles to win, battles to face and to win. So Joshua 9, I want to read this passage. And it came to pass when all the kings who are on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, heard of it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we filled were new, and see, they are torn. And these our garments and our sandals have become old, because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them, then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shephira, Beeroth, and Kirjath-Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn, sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us, 
because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation, as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told your servant that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, in the place which he would choose even to this day. Amen. One of the problems that we face as Christians is that we so often fail to appreciate the subtleties of the devil and of the devil's attacks in our lives. And we fail to understand his strategies. And it seems to me that many of us are so often outmaneuvered by Satan so that the result is our Christian lives are hit and miss in so many areas. Satan knows he can't bring us back into his kingdom, but he does try to make us ineffective in our Christian lives. And in this ninth chapter of Joshua, we come to a classic example of the subtleties of Satan. And and also the ease with which God's people can fall for those subtleties if they're not on their guard. So it's a, a solemn warning comes as a solemn warning to this chapter. Satan not only comes as an angel of light, he comes, if you like, like a slithering, subtle snake, and he has his ways to deceive. But in this chapter, we also find that God, in a miraculous, wonderful way, can even overturn the consequences and the results of giving in to Satan. God can even overrule the mistakes and the failures of his people. And we'll talk about that at the end. And actually this gives us hope and confidence in God. So the children of Israel, they just fought two great battles. The battle of Jericho, the battle of Ai. Near to those two cities were four other cities. So there in verse 17, uh, Gibeon, Shephira, Beeroth, and Kirjath Jearim. Gibeon was the larger of those two, uh, was the most important of those four cities. The people of the, those cities, their inhabitants, realized that they didn't stand a chance fighting against the, the great army of Israel and their God, Israel's God. 
So instead of an all-out attack against the people of Israel, and, and they knew that they would no doubt be, be conquered in that attack, they plotted together. And they came up with this ingenious plan. So there are some very important lessons from this, from the Word of God, that's got to, that the Word of God has got to teach us. First of all, we learn about the subtlety of the enemy. So this whole chapter is an illustration of how subtle the enemy of God's people can be. You see, they'd worked out a strategy, how they could trick the leaders of Israel not to make war with them. So what they did, they sent this delegation to secure a peace treaty. They knew that Israel were committed to driving out all of the inhabitants from the land. They weren't to make peace, they were to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. It was to be their land. And so they disguised themselves, this delegation, as though they'd come from a far distant land themselves. And so well disguised, so plausible were their words, they even said, look, we, 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 we honour and respect your God, that the Israelite leaders were totally taken in by their story. And they thought they'd travel for miles and miles away, they fell for the trick, they made a peace treaty, they formed this alliance that they wouldn't with them, and, uh, and they kept to that word. When the deception was finally revealed, to their credit, the leaders wouldn't go back on their word. And they held on to that. But this is what Satan does today. He knows that he's no match for God. And he works out a subtle strategy to take as many of God's people out of the battle against him as possible. You know, he knows that for most Christians who are seeking to live for God, an all-out attack will not be successful. And so he comes in, in a subtle way to tempt and to entrap. I don't know if you've ever been, have you, has anybody been to the Royal Armouries in, in Leeds? We, we went some while ago, while ago, don't normally like places like that, but... Uh, it was very interesting. And there were, I'll say hundreds, there were thousands of weapons in the Royal Armouries. Just highlighting the ingenuity of man to come up with ways to cause violence. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ways. In the spiritual realm, we face an enemy who is far more deadly than any human ingenuity. He's far more creative far more ingenious than any human enemy. And he's got far more powerful weapons. He's subtle, yes, but he never stops being a roaring lion. If he can't succeed in coming through the front door, he will seek to come in through the back door. I, I was reminded of a song we used to sing in um, Sunday school. And I can even remember the tune, but I'm not going to sing it. It goes that if he doesn't come in at the window, he's sure to come in at the door. Or through the sky, talking about Satan, or through the skylight at the dead of the night, or else he'll come under the floor. And it, it scared me silly. It was the scariest song I've ever sung in my life. But 
and it goes on to say when, on something like this, but I have a friend who will keep him out. And I can't remember any more of the song. But that... Thank you. Go, go to Judy, she knows it. Well, don't sing it, but she knows it. It's good. It's, it's, it, uh, yeah, it's stuck in my mind. Satan has a way of coming in either through the back door, the, the skylight, under the floor, whatever it is. And, and I remember another song as well, The Devil is a Sly Old Fox. If I had my way, I'd put him in a box. I'd shut the lid and throw away the key for all the dirty tricks he's played on me. Great theology. But, but, and he is, he's a sly old fox. And, he, and he, he subtly comes in so many different ways. So we have to be on our guard. I was thinking of the ways that he comes, Satan's subtle attacks. That, that one of the most often warned against attacks of Satan is through false teaching. And, you know, false teaching isn't obvious. That's why it's, it's subtle. <laughs> That's why people are taken in by false teaching. I'm talking about, you know, the, the false teaching in the church. We must always be on our guard, whether it be against the person of Jesus. He is not the Son of God. Whether it be about hell and eternal judgment, there isn't a place like that. God is too loving. And, and, and there's all sorts of things that creep into the church about Grace being so wonderful, God is so wonderful, it doesn't matter if you sin, you can always be forgiven. You know, that is cheap grace and it's a false teaching, it comes into the church. So many ways that Satan comes in through false teaching, we have to be on our guard. Never, never, ever assume that we're just safe. Watch, study, study the word of God. Pray for your leaders, question, don't be afraid to ask questions. Another way that Satan comes in, and they're often these are subtle attacks, are through division. You know, the devil loves to divide Christians. He loves it. Because he knows that if Christians are out of fellowship with each other, that means they're out of fellowship with God. If, if I'm not forgiving, if I'm angry with someone, if I'm hurting someone, I'm offended, and I've, I've stored it in my heart, then that means I'm not in fellowship with that person. There's a break. And so often that break comes because of irritation, anger, impatience, selfishness, pride, all these things, wrong attitudes. So if I'm not in fellowship with others, then that means God cannot forgive me. Jesus said that, didn't he? That's why Paul said this, Ephesians 4, 25, 26, Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, your wrath, nor give place to the devil. It, it, it does, it, by holding my forgiveness, I open the door for Satan's influence. So that's why the devil loves Christians to fall out. So, friends, don't give the devil a foothold. If anything comes up, anything at all, and you feel angry, you feel hurt, you feel upset in any way, straight away deal with it. Ask for God's forgiveness. Ask God to come in. Ask for his peace and then his forgiveness and give that give forgiveness. And do it today. Do it now. Don't, don't, don't let the, the devil have a foothold. Sort it out. Another of the subtle attacks of Satan... Again, this is subtle because he uses good things. 
You know, Satan uses good things to tempt. There in the Garden of Eden, he used the fruit to tempt Eve. There in the, in, in the wilderness, he tempted Jesus with bread, the thought of eating food, and to use the wrong means to get that bread. Satan takes things, stirs up, somehow he stirs up these things so that we want them and we think we will be satisfied with good things. They might be normal things, they might be, it might be physical things, might be relationships, might be all sorts of pr- things that we're involved with in daily life. And we somehow, because of our sinful nature, we latch hold of, hold of these and they become all important. They become satisfying to us so that we don't need anything else to satisfy us. You know, those things of life, as good as they are, and, and those lovely things that God has given us, they were never meant to satisfy as God satisfies. Just turn with me to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. I encourage you to turn to your Bibles when you've got them and, or on your phones. I said at Sunday evening service recently, it'd be great. You know, when lots of people have the Bible on the phone. I'd love, it, I'd love it if somebody designed an app that when you turn to a scripture, you, you had the rustle of the pages as well. It would really, really encourage preachers. So, 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier. That's the warfare aspect. A good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life in order that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. In other words, good things. So easily distract us, don't they? I, I know that. We get just deflected. We get absorbed in the good things of life. Might be family, work, and business. Might be the house, gardening, all sorts of stuff like that. Investing our money, hobbies, television, music, reading, following sport, playing sport, holidays, travel, shopping, Eating, socialising, the list goes on. Good things. But they can become snares. And we become entangled. And they can trap us. That's the subtlety of this. And so God says to us, as a good soldier, because you're a soldier of Jesus Christ, engaged in spiritual warfare, don't be entangled by these things. Don't become caught up in them. Distracted by them. Don't let them dominate. There's more important things. They've got to be in the right order. Don't let Satan get through the back door and take away you from the main thing, which is Christ. And so, yeah, and then I was going to mention the lies of Satan. Satan is a liar and he whispers lies, whispers lies into our hearts and minds. And I'll, I'll, perhaps I'll come back to that at the end. 
And, and, and that's just an example of some of the subtleties. So, yeah, the subtlety of the, of the enemy. Let's, let's go on to the prayerlessness of the people. This is what we learn from verse, going back to Joshua 9, verse 14. Joshua 9, verse 14. It says, then, then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. They didn't ask counsel of the Lord. That's why they fell for this trick of the enemy. They got into such a mess because of their prayerlessness. They didn't pray about it. You know, there's a, we're going to sing a hymn at the end, Blessed Assurance. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. God's given us an amazing gift, hasn't he? Gift of prayer. To be able to talk to God about everything. It, it is interesting to me that this defeat came after two great victories against Jericho, and ultimately against Ai. I think one of the greatest dangers in our Christian lives is when we are either tired, and we've got nothing else to give out, or we've expended energy, maybe for the, in the Lord's work, physically, emotionally, spiritually, or after we've just experienced some great blessing, or victory. Because we are, as never, we are never as weak as when we feel strong. We're never as weak as when we feel strong. Didn't Paul say, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. For those of you who play cricket, and I don't think there's many, but there are a few, or watch cricket, you know that the most dangerous time for the batsman is when he gets to 100 because he's achieved the pinnacle. He's got it. That's, that's, that's what the aim is. That's what he's celebrating. And then the relaxation comes. And the number of batsmen who are out, 101 to 110. That's, that's the danger. It's the same, I was thinking the same of mountaineering. You know, the, 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 the danger in mountaineering, I'm sure, isn't the ascent. It's the descent. You know, get to the top, we've done it. And then you relax, go on, let's get down. Put the kettle on, whoops. <laughs> you know? And you fall down. And it's the same in the spiritual life. We have a real blessing from God. We've done something for God. God's done wonderful. We're praising God. And we take the eye off the ball, maybe. Or we're tired. And we're energyless. And we relax. And we let our guard down. I don't want to get... You're into paranoia thinking, oh, I've been blessed. I've got to, oh, I'm going to get knocked out uh, by Satan next. But, but we have to be on our guard. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. I think that's what happened to the children of Israel. They neglected to pray because probably, I don't know, maybe their mind was full of the past victories. Maybe they just sort of, taking their eye off the ball, they'd, they'd done some great things and suddenly they thought, well, you know, we can manage. Do you know, neglect of prayer implies pride. 
Neglect of prayer implies pride because I'm saying I can do it without God. I, I'm fine. I can rest on my resources and I don't need God's help in this and I don't need to rely on him. And how many of us have neglected prayer speaking to myself? We have to pray because prayer is the key to relying on God and to overcoming Satan and his attacks. Praise God, Satan is a defeated foe, but we have to resist him. Submit to the Lord, to God, resist the devil and he will flee for you. How do we resist? Through prayer. We go to God, we seek God, we seek God's help and we ask for his power and we ask for his protection and his strength in temptation. So we have the subtlety of the enemy, we have the prayerlessness of the people and finally, we have the graciousness of God. The graciousness of God. I think this is a lovely aspect of this story, this incident. In spite of their failure to recognize the deceitfulness of their enemies, the Gibeonites, those Gibeonites ended up becoming the servants of the people of Israel. In other words, God somehow turned around the curse. Look at verse 21. That's what, this is what it says, verse 21. And the rulers said to them, that's the rulers of Israel, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. That's what happened. The Gibeonites and their descendants who were basically, if you think about it, the, the descendants were basically the fruit of this deception, actually became a blessing to God's people. And eventually they were employed in serving in the temple. They, they got the wood for the altar. They brought the water in for the, for the sacrifices and for the washing, the ritual wash, washing. They served God's people. So even... For Satan's subtleties, God had an answer. And God turned it round. And that's what God does. He's so gracious. And he's able to turn failure around. Now that doesn't mean that I can presume upon God's graciousness. I mentioned this before. It's a subtlety of the devil, isn't it? Oh, that's great. God is gracious. He can turn anything around. It doesn't matter if I sin. Yes, it does. There are consequences to disobedience. If I, if I sin, there will be consequences. And sometimes I have to live with those consequences for the rest of my life. But God still turns things around. Because he is gracious. That is so important. One of the, subtles, the devil's subtleties is to whisper condemnation into the mind. Have you ever had that? Yeah, you think you don't even know if it's from your own mind or where it's come from and you think and the voice is it's your inner voice maybe but actually it's a it's the devil's subtleties. You're useless now. You've done that. How can you be a child of God? You'll never make anything for God. God God can't forgive you now and even if he will you'll never be like that you're meant to be. And those little doubts come in. 
Why bother? Why, why bother drawing near to God? You don't really love him. You'll just wander away again. You know what Satan does? He comes in and he reminds us how damaged we are. And he reminds us how hurt we are. And he reminds us how spoiled our life is. And he says, look, you'll never be restored. You'll never be released. You'll never be cleansed. You'll never be empowered. It's one thing I've found that Satan always loves to highlight flaws and failings. And he rivets our thoughts on those things. Not on the grace of God, but on us. Friends, the, the most beautiful thing is, with the Christian, failure need not be final. God's got a wonderful way of restoring and turning things round. So let me finish by saying this. If you have messed up, as we all have, on many occasions, I have on many occasions, if you've done wrong, if you've sinned and you've got things wrong, wrong, God's in the business of forgiving and of mending and of restoring. King David, wonderful example, who said, he restores my soul. It's wonderful when you can say that. When that's your personal testimony. We may make mistakes and who don't? Who doesn't do that? You know, we may lose our battles and we all do, but never ever get discouraged. Don't get disheartened. The war can still be won. Thank God he's able to overrule our sins and mistakes even. And even to cause that curse to be turned into a blessing. Because he's sovereign, he's gracious and he's loving. Let's pray. just be quiet for a few moments and uh, digest those thoughts and think about what uh, needs to be settled into your minds and heart, how you need to respond. Lord, we thank you for the reminders in your word that we are in a battle. We thank you, Lord, that you do not hide the fact that our enemy is a powerful enemy and subtle. But we give you praise that he is a defeated foe. And we thank you, Lord, that in Christ we are safe. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to put on that armor, to resist, to pray, to stand firm. Lord, being What's the saying to be forewarned is to be forearmed and you've warned us through your word, Lord, so that arms us, that equips us. Lord, I pray for each one here that you would give the will and the desire, Lord, to stand and having done all to stand. And Lord, if in any way where we have failed and we've failed you badly, Lord, thank you that you don't whisper condemnation. That's not the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you 
speak conviction so that you can restore us. So Lord, I pray that if there are any who feel condemned and feel that they have hopeless, there's a hopelessness there and that they've forever burned the bridges as it were and cannot go back, I pray that you would speak into their hearts restoration. You'd speak into their hearts love and grace and forgiveness. And that today will be a day of restoration. And receiving the wonderful love of Jesus pour into their lives. Lord, help us, we pray. Help us all to get up, to get going again, and to live for you. Strong in Christ. So Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.